Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Maybe you don't have fights, but you have these friends that had a really silly fight. Just for a moment, just think about the silliest. Can you, can you recall the silliest fight you've had? Some of you are not smiling, so obviously you had no silly fights these days. It's amazing. We're going to talk about cultivating peace. And uh, we said that problem talk is the one thing that, that um, couples need help with. It's actually amazing. Any two people, you just need two people that uh, are different in a little way. And over time, you're going to have conflict because you're different. You have different opinions, different thoughts, different ideas, and um, different desires. So you will, you will have conflict because we just don't see it the same way. We didn't experience a conversation. Have you ever had someone say to you, it doesn't need to be your spouse, but it's often your spouse. It's like, but you said that, and I'm like, did I, did I say that? Because I, I can't recall saying that. Um, you heard me wrong, or I meant that. And the point is, even though we use words that are sincere, it's misunderstood because another person has another view. Anyway, so the reality is that we live in a world filled with conflict. Uh, if you missed it, just switch on the radio tonight, and you'll read about xenophobia in your city, and you'll read about the Ukraine, and you'll read about Ukraine, and you'll read about uh, in, in Uganda, and you'll read all over the world, there's lots of big conflicts, small conflicts. Um, because conflict is, you know what I find funny about that? Is th that's the one thing, human experience, that everyone has. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking of all the subjects I had in primary school and high school. And I'm thinking, we could have dropped a few of those and just devoted just one period a week for 12 years on how do we have good communication and solve conflict. It's, but we don't. Because you don't need to know that. And I'm like, I promise you, marriages don't fail, companies don't fail, countries don't go to war because we didn't understand geography well enough, you know. It's like, but we did understand one another. So see this as a 30 minutes of something you might have messed up. Again, I'm not going to say anything that is brand new to you, but I'm going to give opportunity for us to actually think and practice. And I really want you to think, how can I... How can I use this 30 minutes to build into my marriage? Perhaps I can learn. I know my spouse will hear what he needs to hear, and I'm going to pray that Ross will say it in a way that he can just stop doing that, but maybe I can learn it as well. Okay. So peacemakers sow seeds of peace, and they reap a harvest of goodness. And that's the way in which we cultivate a robust community, a robust. Why should we resolve conflict? Why should we? The first thing is, and you know this, I always say to my wife and I always say to my kids and I say to the people in the congregation, you only have one heart. I only have one heart. It's not possible for me to, to be bitter and angry about one thing or one person and assume that my heart will be warm to everyone around us. That's the first thing. The reality is that if there's unresolved conflict, unresolved Anger, unresolved pain always goes to unresolved, always resenting, uh, always goes to, to anger, which grows into bitterness, 
which grows into resentment and uh, which goes into rage at some point. Either, either you're going to just move away. It's always more rewarding, rewarding to resolve conflict than to dissolve a relationship. Something you can write down. It's always more rewarding to resolve a conflict than dissolve a relationship. We find joy, we find shalom in relationships. So when a relationship's not lacquer, we always tend, we want to move away from a company, from a neighborhood, from a community, from a relationship, and think we will have a greater life. We rarely end up having a greater life. It's always more rewarding. So the first thing is why to resolve conflict? Jesus said it through his apostle John, and he said it a few other times as well, but it's not possible to have a great open relationship with God, which brings peace and a sense of meaning in my life. But I don't have peace and meaning with the person next to me. So I have to resolve this to enjoy this and to enjoy peace. I have to resolve it because I can't keep it there. I have to resolve it to have peace here. Um, I mean, Peter probably quotes Malachi when he says, Husband, love your wives and honor them. Why, is your prayer, why does your prayer go unhindered? Because of the way in which you treat your wife. And can be said the same thing about the woman towards the husband. It's not possible to have an open, clear relationship with God with unresolved conflict in our life. Sort it out. And um, it also just blocks your joy. Jesus said, what, what's the point? What's the point if you gain the whole world? What's the point if you gain that contract? What's the point if you get an applause from your company? What's the point if you are successful in this area of your life? But you lose your soul. You lose your joy. You lose your peace in your house. What's the point? So it just, it's a priority. So how do I resolve conflict? This is really, really helpful. You've read 50 things. I compiled a few things here. The first thing I want to say is that conflict should not be avoided, and we shouldn't just appease. So... It's not the fact that I avoid or ignore the situation. It is true that there are seasons in your life where you live with the tension of unresolved conflict, of an unresolved situation, but you can still maintain peace with your wife and maturity to say, we really don't see. It's possible to not see eye to eye with some, about everything, but still walk hand in hand with someone. So it's a beautiful metaphor. It's possible that we don't agree about everything and yet hold hand in hand. So you can make peace without solving every difference, without bringing conclusion to every difference. So the goal is we own for reconciliation. So I own my part. I listen for perspective. I confront the problem in love, not confront my love who is the problem. Confront the problem in love. And I aim for reconciliation. This is serious. I'm going to make a few jokes. You're not going to laugh because this is serious stuff. But you have to smile. Okay. It's like a... For those of you not making notes, you don't have to make notes. This is not new stuff. Just don't say to your wife, if your wife is the only one making notes at the moment, just know that she's going to make the notes that she wants you to remember. So I'm just saying. Anyway. Own my part. On two occasions, I'm going to read all the text there. You can see the text there. On two occasions, Jesus said, listen, guys, this is a priority. 
when it comes to conflict, when it comes to a situation that must be resolved, if there's a break in a relationship, a break of trust, or just a break in a relationship, the first thing that you must acknowledge is that you have to, you must take the responsibility of making peace. I wanted to ask you by, by I want to ask the session by asking you, the one in your, the couple, who is the couple, who is the one in your couple that is the one firstly to make the move to make peace, you know? I know. Say, and in ons verhouding is het ek. Ek is die ene wat het eerste doen. The point is, there will be no peace unless someone is a peacemaker. Jesus said, blessed are those who make peace. Because you're exactly like my dad. You're like my father. And it's something that you do. And there's a blessing. It says that there's a way in which God rewards a life that makes peace. That's where he starts it. But where he says, yes, he says, listen, if you come to the temple and you worship, and you bring an offering to God, you make the most holy thing for the Jews, the most holy moment. And there you click, oh, my wife still angry or still hurt because of what I did. Jesus said, leave your offering. I want to say there are a few pastors that I'm sure, charismatic pastors that have preached this one. He says, Jesus said, leave your offering and then go. But you don't go with your offering in your pocket. Leave your offering. <laughs> it's a bad joke. Anyway, <laughs> but he says, leave. Los alles netzo. Go and sort it out and then come. And obviously Jesus is saying, he's saying what the, what the Jews didn't want to believe. This takes priority over everything. Making peace takes priority over everything, over that contract, over everything that you need to work on, over everything. It's something that you must do. It's, it's something that you must own. Take the responsibility upon yourself to walk and make peace. It's just to start and make peace. It's something you do. Another place, Jesus said, if your brother has something against you, or if you have something against your brother, go and forgive him. And the other side, he said, if your brother has something against you, then go and sort it out. But don't leave it. The point is, the first thing is just, it's a responsibility. You have to own your responsibility to do that. And the second thing that we have to own up to, and Jesus is this joke of Matthew chapter 5. It, so, it's up, it's up for the Jews. So, you know, humor is contextual. Uh, it's, it's what's funny for an Indian person is not funny for a South African necessarily, except that Indian people generally have mannerisms which are very amusing, and the whole Italian people have their thing. So everything has, we have something that's funny for us, that's for me. And for the Jews, the way in which they made jokes, Jesus taught in that way frequently, was hyperbole, so exaggerate, big, and secondly, sarcasm. So this is one of Jesus' classic ones. A few times he does this in, in, in Matthew chapter 5. He's just making jokes and saying, guys, this is the truth of the Bible. This is God's truth here. And he's saying, imagine you and your wife have a difference. Jesus is saying, if you walk to your wife to point out a small blind spot in the way in which she sees something, a small speck, a small blind spot, and you walk in from your perspective and you simply just want to help your wife to see the situation right, <laughs> Jesus says, will you please just take out the pole from your eye? Because wherever she, and she says, but you have a blind spot. But you go like, I don't have a blind spot. And every time she, because there's this massive pole, telephone pole sticking out your eye. Jesus is saying, when you solve a conflict, when you do something in a relationship, become aware, ask help, but become aware that perhaps, perhaps you yourself have a massive blind spot. But because it's a blind spot, you can't see it yourself. So have the humility to receive input from others to recognize that you own it. And so Jesus' point here is, before you go and resolve a conflict, you own the responsibility of actually, I'm going to make peace here because this is not good for me. 
to live in peace, to not live in peace. So I'm going to make peace. It's blessed are those who make peace, and I'm going to have a good life. And secondly, he's saying, own up to the fact that perhaps, perhaps, miskin, I also contribute to this conflict. I also played a role in how this escalated. I also played a role in the breaking of this relationship. It wasn't a one-side thing. So we go with humility, he's saying. You go with humility that I also have. Do you want to tell me about my pole before I help you get out your, your speck? I can, we can help one another, yeah? And it's humility. And we don't like this. I know we know this, but we don't like this. We don't like the fact. Um, so there are two reasons, typically, biblically speaking, why that contributes to conflict in a relationship. The first one is um, the, the next slide, please, Philip. Thanks for helping me, Phil. Is the concept. So there's two versions of pride, of self-centeredness. He says, what causes the quarrels and the fights among us? Don't they come from our evil desires that wage war within us? It's the fact that myself is desire. You're probably sitting here making notes mentally or physically, thinking, how can this session help me? Which is, <laughs> which is why you came. You are driven by your own desires, by your own needs, and it's good and it's right. But that's where we start. So he's saying that the reason why you have to own up to the reality that I contribute to conflict because I want it my way. Um, we have a friend, they did marriage prep in another place, and I loved it. They said, the, the, the pastor gave them the counsel, and this is good, maybe you can practice it at home um, because you can learn from your toddlers. They said that whenever... Whenever you become really angry in a situation, really angry, you can try this in your corporate office as well, you're really angry, what you do is you stomp your feet three times hard. You go like, hmm, I'm angry because I'm not getting my way. And he, says, <laughs> he says it does, it does tend to, to bring to reality what's actually happening here. I'm angry because I'm not getting my way. In marriage... Conflict happens because I'm not getting my way. I'm not getting it my way. Um, the second thing there, the Proverbs, so maybe some of you didn't have a memory verse for the week, so this is your memory verse for the week. It's really difficult. It's really, really difficult. It says pride leads to arguments. Um, some translation, pride leads to conf conflicts. But pride leads to arguments. So another form of pride, so not selfish desire, but the idea that I really know better. And you know this. You know this. We know this. We end up in massive conflicts because I know better. My idea is better. My perspective is more helpful. No, no, but I have a greater idea. Let's do my idea. <laughs> I, I, know how, I know why we're in this problem. I know it. And it's, a, it's silly if we say it like that. But this is the baseline of why we have conflict. And this is, what, this is what the Bible says here. The first thing, so when we start with an when we want to resolve a conflict, you take it on, your, on yourself. It's my responsibility to resolve this conflict. I will. I will go there. I will make peace. I will, whatever we need to do, I will make peace. But before you start the conversation, just realize that perhaps there's a pole in my eye, which is, I want it my way, or I really think I'm better. And it's just an acknowledgement. And we start by that way. We start in that way. Isn't that the way in which we start in relationship with God as well? Saying, God, I want to fix it. When I have a relationship with you, God, I messed up. <laughs> Can we start again? Very simple. I messed up. Can we start again? But um, not moving it away that simply. 
Um, Rick Warren says he has this line, which is so good, the next line. He says, he's noticed over the years, he's been a pastor for 45 years, he noticed that there's this one line that, that tends to, that tends to de-escalate and end every conflict, at least de-escalate it. He says, you just stop everything and say, I'm, I'm so sorry. I was just thinking about myself. What do you think? <laughs> Simple. You start by owning my responsibility, my contribution, and by owning my part, saying that I was only thinking about myself. The second thing is we're going to listen for perspective. And um, it's amazing. So recently we started as a church just dealing with, with the big elephant of, of ethnic, race, power conversations in our country, and seeing that we really struggle. We want to all get along well, but we, we, we tend to struggle with that, so because I'm so blind to, to my issues. And the one thing that we just learned over the years is like, it really helps to just listen long enough. Listen long enough. So don't go by starting a conversation. You go by listening. You build peace by listening. And not, not simply appeasing, listening. We all do this. We listen. The first time we listen to a story when there's a conflict is you want to listen and you, you have your answers and you, you're, using, you're using the person's answer as weapons for your arsenal to use it against him or her again. But you said this and there you prove it and you're right. But the point is to listen long enough so that you can identify with the person, so you can see life from his or her perspective. To listen long enough so that I can, I can hear you, I can understand you, I really get you. And what we're listening for, and the triggers there, is, is we're going for, we listen long enough until we get compassion, until your heart is moved with the person's reality. This is really his reality, it's really her reality. It is, it's really true that we don't fight about facts. We rarely fight about facts. We mostly fight about how these facts, this reality, makes me feel. We fight about feelings. It's our feelings that makes that makes. So, so to point to a person, to show, to try and show to a person how he or she is wrong is, is never helpful in a conversation. It's never helpful unless the person asks for that. Because it's how the facts make me feel. You did that, and then you made me feel stupid. You said that. And you made me feel unwanted. You fight about how it makes me feel, not about what you say. Because the, f the fact is a fact. So, we listen for perspective. All be quick to listen. The Bible says, slow to speak and slow to anger. Um, a friend of mine always said that whenever he deals with conflict, he says, it helps him, remind, his face reminds him that God intends him <laughs> to observe and listen twice as much as he speaks. <laughs> He's saying, I have two eyes and one mouth. I have two ears and one mouth. It's indication. I should listen more than I speak. And it's a, it's a good start. It's really a good start. Philippians, don't look out only for your own interests, but take interest in the others. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. The word scopa there is the word from which we get telescope and, and, and microscope to focus on, to zone on, to get a lens eye view. And he's saying that we should gain, listen until we get the perspective of the other. It's really about moving with compassion. We build peace when I can identify, when the other person feels listened to. 
we listen our way in unity. We, we listen our way into, into reconciliation. The person must feel dignified and honored, valued. We listen until the person sees that I really see you. I really get you. I get where you come from. I understand that. And even after that, and I've noticed, even after that, if we still don't agree on the way forward, the tension is resolved because the person feels dignified. It's possible in a marriage, Mahrita myself has one or two things that, that we really don't... I, I trip over every time. I trip over it. I, I fall with Diana. And then after a while, I just figured out that I really don't see what she sees. I, I, I really don't see what she sees. But I can really see how this makes her feel. I can see it really makes her feel that way. So it's not whether I'm right or wrong. It's not whether I'm better or not. The point is, I don't want it to feel like that. So therefore, I will move away. I don't say she's right, but I'll move away from it quite simply because I can see what it does for her. And when I don't do that, then, um, then the intimacy is gone in our marriage. It's just gone. So we listen our way into unity. And um, just on that point, in our rushed life, this will take time. This will take time. In moments when we live hurried, we have more conflict. Some people say that one person said that sin is, um, no, hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. <laughs> and what he was trying to say is he's saying it produces the same thing. Hurry is sin. It, it produces the same as sin. It, it breaks up relationship. It erodes your peace. And it makes us fall into temptations because we don't have the time to consider what's valuable. It's the same stuff. But it does the same for relationships. If we don't have time to sit and to listen to one another, just to be with one another, to get one another's perspective, it will end up into a moments of breaking in marriage, moments of, of dis, 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 disconnection. The third thing, yeah, we're going to practice it now, but the third thing is... Um, is we confront the problem in love. And I'm going to say this in the most plain way. If, if Mahrit and I have a sex problem, it's not helpful to fight with Mahrit about our sex problem. Because that will not lead to more sex. What is helpful is if Mahrit and myself confront the problem of a breakdown in intimacy together. And we resolve the problem of breakdown in intimacy together. It will lead to sex. So fighting with your spouse about the problem is not helpful. We don't confront the spouse, we confront the problem. It sounds technical, but it's really simple. With the two of us talk about this thing which has caused a break in connection, whatever this thing is, whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's the children, whether it's your school more, whatever. The two of us talk about this thing that caused the breakdown in a relationship. And the point is we talk about the thing which causes a breakdown. It's a perspective. It's a really simple perspective. But we have to confront the problem. We have to talk about the problem but we don't talk to the, the, the enemy is not the person. And how we do that, I've noticed over the years, 
Yes, I clink must say omens. Anyway, but but I really I've noticed it's not it's not conflict that end relationships. It's how people fight that end relationships. And it makes me it makes me incredibly angry. I have situations in our church at the moment which just makes me it makes me really angry. Because <laughs> if you if you fight with your spouse, we're all gonna fight at some point. And fighting is good because fighting is the way in which I become aware of pain that I cause. It's feedback. It's feedback. I cause pain. So it's feedback. It's, it's good that, that we bump into each other. How would I know that I bump in? She can ignore it forever, and we can see this. Some, you know, the pine, deneboom, tipamensa, sirboom, deneboom, tipamensa, the introverted people will for a long time suck up whatever is necessary just to maintain peace because we are not prone to, to having conflict. Few people, we know people, I know a few people that love fighting. They love fighting. They always look for an opportunity to fight. The rest of us just gradually move away from them, <laughs> step away from the vehicle because they're fighting all the time. But the point is, I see this in marriages, that there are people that you get this, I'm going to call it bully, bossy, or just, a, let me say, confident people. We get confident people and people that want to appease. Just, just avoid or appease, don't want to go to the conflict. And you can live like that for a while and think you have a happy marriage because the wife or the husband, the one who is not so loud, will just become silent and not fight because she doesn't like fighting. She just likes peace or he just likes peace. But, you know, after 15 years of marriage, my, my perspective, 15 years, 15 years of marriage, at some point, the quiet one just goes like, I've had enough of this. I've had enough. No, I'm not going to have this anymore. No, I've, I don't do this anymore. And either the heart is so hardened that she moves out or he moves out or just moves away or just shuts down and goes on with her life or his life. Or she says, or he says, and then the conflict actually will come in. But by that point, there's a lot of resentment and bitterness built up in the situation. So we're going to have this conflict. You're going to have to have this conflict. But what I find this is what I wanted to say. What I find is not the fact that we have conflict that ends it. It's how we have conflict. And what makes me angry is, is when people use the words and the accusations, the stuff that they throw, the, the labels, the, the, just how they, and I'm thinking, you want this woman to undress again and be intimate with you. How do you, how do you see this happening? How do you unsay these things? How do you, Remove all your WhatsApp messages where everyone knows or social media posts where everyone is like, is he really saying this about his wife on social media or is she, you know, how do you undo all those things? You just to stop and to think, fight in such a way that she will want to be intimate with me again. And I, I'm not sex obsessed now. I just mean you want to talk about the, the connection. You must fight in such a way that we can build an intimacy not eroded. So obviously, in the times when we have conflict, you're not going to kiss one another immediately now. However, at the end of every fight, there must be fershuning, like kissing one another again, just to... But we tight, you know? Even if it's like a... It's like... Anyway. Anyway, but the point is... So some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. I have a, I have a friend who, who just 
say that, no, he's, up, he's, he's done with this. So he's also gunning for robust community. And he's like, yeah, man, we can't so tip the I just say it like it is. And I'm like, there's a way to say it like it is that will not build unity, but will actually separate people. There's a way of fighting which actually causes damage. There's a way of confronting which actually hurts the heart and makes people shut up like a clam because I don't want you to hurt me. And I don't want to be disrespected. That's actually the key. There's a way in which we have conflict that is upbuilding and honoring and dignifying, where I want you to dignify me as well because I dignify you. I want you to see me that I honor you. So therefore, there's a way. And that's why the Bible says we speak the truth in love. This is speaking truth in love. Oh, I'm going the wrong way. I want you to see this text. It is so helpful to remind yourself that almost the entire New Testament, almost all the epistles were written to resolve conflicts. It's helpful, eh? All the epistles were written to resolve conflict in a local congregation. So it's not as though maybe we are bad Christians, but at least they were bad Christians as well. <laughs> Sometimes we think about the early church and like, ooh, it's amazing. And then you read texts like, will you please stop sleeping with your mother? <laughs> you know, in Corinthians, and you read like, can those who steal please stop stealing? I'm like, Wow, wow, okay, so we're not that bad. Okay, so it's good, eh? So it's a word for someone here today. Stop stealing, pay your tax. Anyway, but he's saying is all of the New Testament were written to resolve conflicts. It's really helpful. So we find a lot of helpful things in here. And the one thing there that in the next slide, thanks, Philip, that Paul, so you can take any of the texts, Ephesians, Colossians, you know, all, all of them, Philippians, you know, chapter 3, talks about, please help these two women resolve their conflict, probably elders, you know, it's like, like big things. But this is one thing that he does here in, I think, Colossians, which is extremely helpful. He's, he's telling the church, how do we resolve, he starts with how do we resolve temptation, and then he says, so now that you have two different parties in the church, how do we resolve conflict here? This is his aim. And then he talks about setting your heart on things above, setting your mind on things above, not on things below, but then eventually verse 8 he talks about removing what we call weapons of math, math destructions, mass destructions. When I was young, I couldn't pronounce an R or an S. So when the kids asked me, what's your name? I said, Hoth. <laughs> Hoth. I'm like, what? It's like Hoth. And my mom was a pre-primary teacher, so she was a teacher. So <laughs> we'd walk to my mom and say, math, they're very stupid means what's my name. <laughs> Hoth. Anyway, math. Mass instruction. So it still slips out there, slips out every now and then. Yeah. Yeah. So in the 80s, during the Cold War, but earlier as well, but during the height of the Cold War, because the memory of, and it's very relevant to us today, but because the memory of the Second World War for most of those leaders was so fresh in their heads. They made a peace treaty. So Jakob and myself come from the Air Force, so we did study a bit, of, a bit of the legalities of conflict, international conflict, war. Uh, what do we call it, Jakob? Anyway, international con conf combat war. Anyway, but it's amazing. They, they made a peace treaty to say that, listen, so even though we know our countries are at war and we are aware that we're doing lots of espionage and stuff and, and, and bad stuff, we must agree that we will not, MID, that we will not have mutually agreed destruction, destruction conflict. We will not press that red button 
that sends those nukes out of the subs. So we're going to fight in such a way that we don't destroy everything. That's the agreement. So we don't have weapons of mass destruction. We will not have that. If they could do it, two pagan nations, I'm sure we can do it in a marriage. So when we have conflict, before we have conflict, if you sit down to have this peace conference with your spouse regularly, just agree. Says, listen, meatloaf, I will do anything for love, but I won't do that. It's like, <laughs> we won't do that. We will not do the weapons of mass destructions. And this is what Paul does. He says, listen, if you have conflict, put away these things from you. Firstly, put away anger. Let there be no anger coming from your mouth. That don't just calm down and be at peace and talk calmly. Don't let wrath come from your mouth. Don't let anger come from your mouth. He says, don't let malice. Malice means I will do and say stuff. The goal is to hurt you. So we always say in rugby, you know, you play the ball, not the person. Play the ball, not the person. It doesn't happen, but we all know what we want happening. So at home, stay with the problem. Don't say hurtful things to put your spouse on, 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 a, on, a, on a setback, or to, to, to let her close up. Slander. We don't... Yeah, look at When I'm... Magrit, yes, it's amazing. So when my people at work meet me, Magrit's work at the hospital, they think I walk on water. They think I float. They think the most... It's amazing how they talk to me. And like, wow, wow. And I'm like, weird. But that's, that's the view that Magrit portrays of me. When she talks of me, and I mess up, I do stupid things. But the point is, from her colleague's perspective and from her friend's perspective, I am absolutely amazing. I'm really amazing. Even though we have ups and downs, the people in her life really, really think that I'm amazing. And it's not as though she has friends that know everything. I mean, we, we go to them. We go to them when we have problems. We sit down with them and say, listen, can you help us here? You're not counselors. I just, can you just pray with us? Can you just help us? Let this moment be a moment of connection because we're struggling. So, but the point is, she does not do slanders. She doesn't talk bad things about me elsewhere because when you do that, it doesn't just shape your reality. Because imagine now we kiss and make up and everything's amazing. All her friends still think I'm evil. All her friends still think that I'm bad influence to her. Although she's made up, there's these secondary offenses with me that is running out there. Anyway, take away obscene talk, take away slander. Obscene talk is just swear words. Ugh. For God's sake, I mean this really, for God's sake, take away obscene talk from your mouth. Do not fight with swearing and saying dirty things. How do you expect to be intimate <laughs> with the other one with a heart being drawn to you when there's a habit of speaking obscene things? This was written to the church. That's why I'm confidently saying it to the church because it's probably in here you were at some point unsaved and we are still growing holy. But take away this for the sake of unity. So fight in such a way and don't lie. It, it just adds that as an afterthought. And then he says, so what do we do? How do we build unity? It's that compassionate hearts. And that's what I said in the beginning. Listen long enough that you can identify with this person. Listen long enough until you moved on the inside with this person's reality. What he thinks, what she thinks. 
set aside your, your ideas. Do what Jesus did. Don't just think about yourself, but have the interest. Have this perspective of the other at heart. Listen long enough to be moved in your heart to this person. Kindness, so, so that you actually want to do good to them. Humility, so that you don't think your needs are the paramount and the most important one. What did we say? Pride leads to arguments. Humility leads to human, it's just connection. I didn't think through that one. It's beautiful. Meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint, forgiving with one another from the heart, even as the Lord has forgiven you. I'm not going to stop there. But that's the thing. No foul language, no abusive language, Paul says again in Ephesians, because the church apparently has always had this problem, that when we get angry, we do what the world does. He's saying this in a context of conflict, because he said before this, he said, let not the sun go down in your anger, Ephesians chapter 4. Philip, thanks, next slide. Ephesians chapter 4, let not the sun go down in your anger, and then he says, when you have conflict, I want you to read what it says here. He says, don't use any foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be helpful so that it will bring what? An environment of encouragement to those who will hear them. So in your conflict, Paul is saying, fight in such a way that it's uplifting, that we build each other up <laughs> towards a point of unity. Fight in such a way. So it says, have the conflict. It doesn't say conflict is bad. He's saying, just don't let the sun go down on your conflict. Make it a priority, an urgency to solve this thing. But fight in such a way that it can actually help and build one another up. And then, this is just a slogan again of, um, I think it's Rick Warren. Fix the problem, not the blame. In your conflict, fix the problem, don't fix the blame. Don't put the blame on someone. Just try to fix the problem rather than the blame. Don't give the someone the fault. Just solve, it, solve the problem for God's sake. And then the last one. Aim for reconciliation and not resolve. Ken het te lang gepraat? Aim for reconciliation, not resolve. He's saying it's possible to see eye to eye, to, to walk hand in hand with someone without seeing eye to eye with a person. It's possible. It's possible to live with the differences in perspective and opinion. It's possible. It's possible for us to not agree. It's possible to have a loving, respectful union without agreeing about everything. So the point of the conflict resolution is not to find agreement about everything that went wrong. It's simply to build the trust in the relationship so we can walk forward. Maybe this is not the case for your marriage. But, but we all know these people. They can't move on until everything, they agree about everything. They can't move on until we agree. So we're stuck in the past somewhere, and we can't move beyond that. So it is possible to actually build a reconciliation, to, to build trust again without fixing everything. And let that be the goal. Let it not be the goal to talk about everything that went wrong. Just let's, how can we move forward? How can we build forward? I want to close just with this, with this um, the practical discussion. It's very quiet in here now. I want us to practice this, and um, I am cautious because perhaps there is a couple here, maybe there are two couples, maybe there are ten, that really at the moment things are a bit krapperig, things are a bit itchy, things are a bit not lacquer. Maybe you don't sleep well because you have a small baby, maybe the small baby is not the problem, <laughs> but it's difficult. 
I'm going to ask you to throw one another a softball. You know what I mean? Don't, don't gun for a big thing now. Even if you have to take a fictitious, funny story, but to practice conflict resolution. So it's, just, it's funny. Even if, if you think it's a bit tense in your marriage at the moment, just say, take a funny story. The three little bears came home, and there was someone in their bed. Take that, and they just talk through that. It's funny. Just, just to do that for a practice. My, my experience is it's improbable that the first thing that you will do this with is the big thing. So before you really have a big fight and you need to talk it out, just practice it with the small thing. So small situation, small funny situation, maybe a real situation you want to talk through. Someone will listen and the other one will talk. And you will share this. Firstly, just ask one another. So typically, scale 1 to 10, how well do we do with conflict? Do we avoid it? Do this always escalate in a big fight? Do, you know, what do we think? So just tell yourself that so we can agree on that. If that is the reason why you're fighting, maybe that's a good start. Then <laughs> just say, own my part, I'm here. What is my contribution? What is the pole in my eye? We're constantly bashing it up. Do you want to help me with that? And you just listen for his perspective. If all you do now is simply just listen for the other person's perspective without going anywhere else for the next half an hour. This is meaningful. This is really, really meaningful. This is really meaningful. And then confront the problem. Let's talk, how can we move forward? The question is, how can we move forward? How can we move forward? What will help you move forward? How can we move forward so we can just, where do we want to go? Cultivate affection, warmth, and encouragement. Build the intimacy in our marriage again. How can we do that? What, what is the one thing that we can give one another so we can build our intimacy again, walk hand in hand? Is that good for you? Is this, can I just, can I ask you, you close your eyes, please? We're going to ask this Elta Cool for salvation now. Just while, you're, while your eyes are closed, how many of you are confident that you can do this now? So please, eyes are closed. You can do this now and it will work out well. Raise your hands. Okay, great. Eyes down. Thanks. Eyes open. Thanks. So the majority feels that you can do this well now. For the others now, that are here, perhaps you can um, literally just talk about what you heard now. So just use this time and say, do you think we can try this? This, this is what I heard now. This is what I, I'll sit here in front. I'll walk around. I'll come and greet you. And uh, if you're having a good conversation, I'll ignore you. And if you're not having a good conversation, then I'll come and sit and pray with you. So good. Okay, let's give one another half an hour. Jakku, is it right? Is it half an hour enough? Okay, let's take half an hour. So probably only one of you will be the talker and one will be the listener. Okay, is that good? Okay. There's a slide, there's a homework. So we're still waiting for one or two people that are taking a bathroom break, but I, I think it's good for me to just do... I want to close in prayer and then invite you to two by two in your groups. Just find someone that looks relatively friendly. Okay, so you must find someone that you... You look at them and you think, I don't think they're going to judge me. Like, you must find someone like that. So you must look like someone like that now. Um, and I want to invite you just to take your piece of paper and um, to be vulnerable, to say, I think this is what we dream. And, and obviously, you know, you did, did this quickly. So you, no one will judge you because your paper, your dream doesn't look amazing. 
But just take actually more what's on your heart than the paper and just say, guys, this is, this, is what we, this is what we think at the moment, our first initial quick introduction. This is what we think. This is what we dream. And I want the other couple to receive that and simply just to, to listen, to, to give it time to share theirs. And I want you just to pray for what they dream. Just to pray, to trust God for that. And if you know each other well or you feel safe, you're welcome to say, when you pray for me, you can also pray that, that we'll be better at this one thing. But just pray a blessing. Mostly just pray a blessing over the other couple, that which you desire for yourself. Um, lastly, you saw on the slide there's something about feasts up there. Biblically, feasts are embodied hope. So when you think about the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Lights, the Feast of Harvests, it is, a, it is the feast that embodies that which the good life is. God is dwelling with us forever, Feast of Tabernacles. God is with us as a source of life and hope with us forever. For many from our South African Christian tradition, Christmas is, is a feast of this is what the good life looks like. Look at the bounty. Look at generosity. Look at the family around the table. This is the gift. Because Jesus came, see what we have in our house. Festivity, joy, thankfulness at the end of the year. So I want you to think, when you go home, what, what is something that your family can do on a regular basis that embodies this hope? For the Jews, it is Sabbath every week. God is with us. We're not working. God will provide for us. See, we're sitting around the table. This is the richness that we have. We have sufficiently for today, and this is the richness that we have. God is so, so for the Jews, Sabbath is the embodiment of a hope of a life with God, the good life. It, it embodies everything about the good life. And the neighbors around us, we share together. So I want you to think, and maybe for now it's just a Thanksgiving feast or a, a Christmas at the end of the year, but when you do it, to consciously do it as a reminder. So... Think about your dream. Look at what is one thing that you can do together that embodies this, this picture. What would it look like if all of this suddenly happened? What is the closest I can do to, to do this? So like a long feast table or like a family holiday or weekend away type of thing or whatever you can. Anyway, so it's amazing. I want to pray for us and then I want to invite you to, um, to be with one another. Thank you for today. It will be the last time we'll have a microphone. Thank you for coming. Thank you for making the first time for me lacquer, <laughs> like for you as well. Thank you for your grace. And um, I want to thank you for the faith of coming here with your spouse to trust that you'll actually receive something from God. I want to say God will not disappoint. Okay. First session, I asked you what are the habits that you can, the simple things that you can do to increase in affection, hope, and encouragement. Please write that somewhere for yourself. Practice it and, and test it for two weeks and see whether it works or not. Okay. That's great. Father, thank you for today. God, we looked at various aspects of cultivating intimacy, cultivating peace, and cultivating hope. And God, my prayer is, God, that, that, that life with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit, communion with the self-giving other regarding community-forming love, God, that life with you will rub off on us, God, that we will become like you, that we will be 
other regarding self-giving, community-forming people. God, that we'll be able to cultivate affection, hope, and encouragement in our homes. God, that we'll be people that are resilient, that are anchored in the hope that truly you are making all things new. And God, that you're always at work in us as well, cultivating your grace and your, your strength in us, in Jesus' name. And God, I pray for this church and for the people, the married couples here and the families and their children. I pray that they may dwell in shalom, God. I pray that they may dwell in peace, in Jesus' name. Thank you. So please find someone relatively friendly. If you really, if you really can't talk with someone. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that you enjoyed your time with us, establishing God's kingdom and His glory in your life. For more info, call us on 012-362-1363. Email us, pretoria at shofaronline.org. Browse our website, www.shofaronline.org. Or like us on facebook.com forward slash shofarpretoria. Pretoria.